This podcast is a member of WGPRN, WildGamesProductions.com. Is anybody here? Can you make a noise? I know you can see us. <laughs> Something touched my leg. Hello, I'm Yvette Fielding. No, really, I am. And tonight, we look at a man possessed by zombie ants, examine claims that the Georgia Guidestones are really only made of polystyrene, and explain why an iPhone really isn't a household implement. Welcome to Most Haunted Halloween Special. Our first item comes from the haunted woods of Pennsylvania. Is there anybody here? Can you make a noise? Shh. They're with us. Well, so soon? Do they know that... Listen, there's a presence with us now. Ancient, cold, wicked. It it wants to... What was that? (sighs) Derek? Derek, are you okay? Can can you still... Vince Mark. Are you with us, spirit? Are you here? Yes, I am. You an ancient ghost from Pennsylvania? Yes, that's me. Why do you still sound like you're from Liverpool? That that doesn't matter. Right, okay. Do you have a message for us? Yes. So, what is it? Darker days. Darker days? Days. Yes, you must listen to darker days. Is that it? It doesn't make any sense. No, oh, Yvette, run! Well, why? What? Just, just run! It's a fucking weird chicken! <laughs> Hello, folks, and welcome to the Halloween episode of the Darker Days podcast. I am your host, along with my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fantastic, Vince. How are you doing? Great. If you were wondering, tuning into the show and uh, wondering what was going on, that was a nice little piece put together by our friends from the Most Haunted staff. I wonder who those people were. Derek and Yvette, they said. Oh, yeah, Derek and Yvette, yeah, they did a good job. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we have a, a good show tonight for you guys. Uh, this is going to be focusing on uh, the storyteller uh, aspect of, uh, of the White Wolf games in the World of Darkness. So we have three, that's right, three special guests with us tonight. We have uh, the Chuck Man. Chuck, how you doing Bola. tonight? Hey. Guys. And we have uh, Mr. White Wolf himself, Eddie. Eddie Webb. Get us a... And we have Steve Wilson, American Hero. Stu Wilson, how you doing? I'm doing good. 
Well, they'll be joining us tonight, giving us their two cents or one cent or whatever cent they want to give us <laughs> as we dive into everything. So, Mark, why don't you deep uh, dive into that mailbag and tell us what we got this week? Yes, let's check out the mail call this week. Well, we've had a cool handful of mails over the last couple of weeks. First up, Matthew Bull writes in with some great words of support for the show. He's a new listener who ran across our show on the White Wolf News feed. So thanks for that, uh, Matthew. And thanks again to White Wolf for publicizing our humble little podcast. Mm. Uh, Galen Febich wrote in asking for a review of Geist. And also uh, he suggested a side-by-side review of the two Malkavian clan books from Vampire the Masquerade. He also suggested doing a show based around madness and using insanity on your chronicle with ideas from the Malkavians, uh, World of Darkness Asylum, Changing the Lost. Um, so, I don't know, what do our listeners think about this? I think that sounds like a pretty cool idea. Isn't every show about madness that we do? I thought that was the obvious r- remark to make, but I figured I'd leave that one up to you. was <laughs> <laughs> featuring Chuck Wendig. <laughs> Damn it. <Busted> again. <laughs> Uh, Vergast writes in asking if we're going to do any more system-specific shows. Um, to date, we've done uh, no. features on Hunter, Mage, Dark Ages so far, as well as our Sabbat two-parter. And we get a lot of requests for Changeling and Vampire in general, so you can expect to see something on those coming up soon. He also sent in some very cool secret frequency suggestions about Anglesey, so thanks for that, Vergast. Yes, thank you. Uh, Dennis Deplain wrote in asking where to find the podcast. Uh, you can find, find it at darkerdays.tk. <laughs> But uh, if you're listening to this show, you already know that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, shouts out then to our latest members, Saxon Matt, Vergast, Errant Construct, Vegas Mentat, Hugh, and Laughing Jack Wilton. What? That's a fantastic name, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's been doing some stuff with uh, David Hill, actually, over at Machine Age uh, Productions. Um, uh, Laughing Jack Wilton is not his real name, but uh, but it should be. <laughs> that would be a great name. <laughs> All right, uh, and for our network news, we have a bunch of shows on the WGPR network. Uh, We have Liquid Weird with uh, The Other Mark. Uh, You can go to liquidweird.net for that. And uh, you can also listen to our sister show, The Darkling Podcast, which was, um, we just had it up last week, and we talked about Demon the Return, which is uh, made by uh, um, Evil Shander. His uh, Shander, did I say that right, Mark? Yes, you did. Okay, talking about his revamp of The Demon the Fallen. And then we have our newest podcast. Well, it's actually a vidcast, Mark. Did you check mm-hmm. it out by Zorlak in the community? Yeah, the Exalted Vidcast. Mm. He's also got four or five, already has four or five episodes up. It's a great show focusing on Exalted with some super cool ideas and great coverage of the Exalted game. Um, you can find that at www.youtube.com slash user slash Exalted Podcast. But uh, if you can't remember that, Earl, just go to YouTube and type in Exalted Podcast and you'll find it right away. Go watch the show. Uh, but not now. Listen to us first. No, then no, watch no, it. You, yeah, you can afterwards. Okay, let's move on to uh, everybody's favorite segment and Mark's spotlight. It's under the stairs. Yes, welcome one and all to the secret frequency where today we bathe ourselves in rains of blood. Now, this. Uh, item was originally submitted by Law over at our forums, so thanks Law. Um, we've got a lot of secret frequency submissions in the bag at the moment, and thanks to everyone who's been sending them in, but this one had just the right degree of Halloween horror for tonight's show. The story is a grisly one, which is what we like after all. It goes back 150 years, to February the 15th, 1850 to be precise, near the town of Clinton in North Carolina, when blood and body parts rained from the sky over the farm of one Thomas Clarkson. Now, reports from the North Carolinian 
newspapers state that this shower of flesh and blood was about 250 to 300 yards in length. The body parts appeared to be flesh, liver, intestines, brains, and blood. Some of the blood ran on the leaves, moist and fresh. Three of Clarkson's children were caught in the gory shower and ran to their mother, exclaiming, Mother, there is meat falling! Well, they probably didn't sound like that, but I, I can't do a North Carolina accent, so um, you have to do that yourself at home. <laughs> uh, by the time their mother went to investigate, the shower was over, but the flesh and blood were still lying about all over the place, and a neighbour confirmed the report. One of his own children had been nearby and reported the smell of blood. Apparently, during the shower, there was a red cloud hanging overhead, but no rain fell from it. Well, no normal rain, at any rate. They were able to get some of the flesh and blood examined under the microscope, and it was determined to be real flesh and blood, though they couldn't confirm whether it came from people or animals. As if that wasn't enough, it happened again, 34 years later, and once more over North Carolina, over the farm of a Silas Beckworth, to be specific. This time it was witnessed by the wife of a black tenant farmer named Mrs. Kit Lassiter. She reported that blood fell on the ground, bushes, trees, and on her head. The Chatham Record newspaper reported that many neighbours and even a local physician came out to check the spot after hearing Mrs. Lassiter's story. All of them said that an area of ground 60 feet in circumference was covered in splotches of blood, and an examination of the trees in this place showed blood on the branches. Now, the droplets varied in size from a small pea to that of a man's finger, and they were averaging about one drop for every square foot. The smaller drops had been instantly absorbed into the earth, whereas the larger ones coagulated for all to see. And in the second case, the sky was apparently cloudless, with almost no wind to speak of. Now, a few explanations were offered at the time. Could the blood have come from animals dying there, or perhaps the slaughter of pigs or other livestock? Of course, while that explains the blood, it doesn't explain it raining from the sky. Could it have been some bird of prey passing over, carrying a bleeding animal? It would have to be a pretty large animal, if so, like, you know, an elephant. Um, other than these rather feeble attempts to explain the phenomena, no real explanation has ever been forthcoming. So, rains of blood. Lacking any real presence of pharaohs in their firstborn in North Carolina, we have a wonderfully bloody mystery on our hands here. What kind of explanations might we devise for a world of darkness games? Now, over on our forums, Beckett suggested that this is what happens when mages, werewolves, wraiths, and eastern kindred attempt to nuke the Ravnos antediluvian and fail twice. Uh, Evo Shandor came up with an awesome idea, namely that it could be the result of the first attempts to time travel back to the past or even the 3,000th and 3,000th of Earth attempts at time travel. I mean, who knows how many times this has happened in areas where people didn't notice. Mm -hmm. Or it could be the remains of someone that got trapped in the shadow. At some point, everything material gets pushed out after all. Now, I thought you could maybe do something cool with the lost colony of Roanoke. Roanoke's an island, of course, and so somewhat removed from the area of rain. But riffing on Evo's idea, perhaps the Roanoke colonists fled from some terrible menace into the spirit world or forged through time with gruesome results. This bloody rain is all that remained of them in their ill-fated escape attempt. And if you're a Wheel of the Apocalypse player, you have the Croatan tribe to play within the area as well. Tying these events into a ferocious battle with servants of the worm makes for a neat explanation too. Uh, North Carolina was also the site of the Wright brothers' first flights at Kitty Hawk. Maybe others tried airborne flights before the Wright brothers with considerably less success. Adventurous mystics might have tried to harness the power of spirits of the air to carry them aloft, but found that their plans literally came apart at the seams. And uh, finally, North Carolina gets a few tornadoes as well. Not many, true, but enough to use in-game. 
Wayward weather patterns combined with mass slaughter could also be used as a way to develop these incidents further. Murderous cultists, Nefandi, or the followers of the Prince of a Hundred Thousand Leaves. Any of these could have produced the kind of bloodshed that could later have been born into the heavens to be scattered onto an unsuspecting earth. And, of course, we should ask ourselves what part our two farmers, Mr. Clarkson and Mr. Beckwith, had to play in this affair. Innocent parties? I think not. So there you have it, raining blood. Uh, seeing as we have three esteemed guests of the horror genre on our show, I also thought I'd throw this one open to you guys. Uh, what would you make of this? Is this something that you figure you could use in a horror game? And, and how I would you will spin never it go game? to North Carolina <laughs> as long as I live, based on that. <laughs> Man, I live there. I won't, I won't go back. <laughs> I think I did it. Actually, um, uh, one of our editors, uh, Genevieve Podleski, she lived for a time in North Carolina, and she calls it uh, uh, the Forest of Endor because it's just like huge masses of trees where you just totally get lost in and wander around and not know where you're at for days at a time. Um, cool. But you know, the first thing I thought of when I heard this is actually I thought um, this is what happens when you uh, are a really arrogant mage and accumulate too much paradox. Mm. Yeah. Explode. <laughs> Literally. Yes. Massive paradox backlash. Yeah, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my first oh, response is I go to either uh, I go to one of two Hunter the Vigil explanations because I'm you know a giant Hunter the Vigil the whore. No, <laughs> I know. No, I'm <laughs> uh, You know, either first of all, the Chiron Group uh, did an experiment that went very, very poorly. Uh, mm -hmm. Some sort of awful, you know, prosthetic limb factory went uh, went <laughs> explodey. I don't know. Um, but uh, in uh, the uh, horror recognition guide, Wood plays uh, in ten photographs with this whole idea of interstitial terrain. Yeah, I was this, thinking ten photographs actually. Yeah, too. see, and it's this great kind of thing where like what yeah. is passing over from another, you know, plane, and is this, you know, are these farms even there all year round? Like what, you know, there's some kind of nice crossover there between parallel dimensions. Actually, not you mentioned Vigil. Also, um, this uh, if you put uh, Bad Moon Farm in North Carolina, there's their lair too for the Bad Night Bad Moon, uh, Bad Moon Farm, uh, Black Moon yeah, Farm. Yeah, Black Moon. Yeah, yeah, story. yeah. Yeah, that would actually really work there. <laughs> yeah, really, it would. Yeah, sorry, North Carolina. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Still, what do you think about all this? Um, I I had a couple of ideas. First, first of all, I know people have said about uh, paradox making majors explode, but what if it's not the mages who explode, but they're doing the exploding? Something under each of these farms requires a blood sacrifice to live. Only thing is, the only people who find out about this found out a little too late and had to give a lot of blood in a very short time span. Uh, cool. <laughs> oh, nice. fuck, it's Cthulhu! Quick, grab Frank! <laughs> <laughs> grab Frank, strap him some dynamite, there you go. <laughs> Instant sacrifice. <laughs> Man, that's the it's messiest, right. awesomest way to right. sacrifice me. Hell yeah. The, the it's usually it's so like sacrificial daggers and robes, you know, just blow a dude up. There we go. Sacrificial dynamite, it's, absolutely. It's the ultimate. For Cthulhu. Bring forth the Eldritch Pitch Duo. Yeah. Hey, it's, prag <laughs> it's pragmatic, you know. It's the sort of human sacrifice I could see the Sons of Ether getting into. Yeah. <laughs> you know? The other one ties into. Um, the Wright brothers and their flights. Um, I'm not sure if any of you re, uh, read Alan Moore's uh, Tom Strong comics, but um, bits of it, yeah, little bits. There was there was a plot there where um, the spirits of the air that allowed human beings 
to achieve flight had finally got pissed off enough that they rescinded that gift. And yeah, what if these were the forerunners to the Wright brothers going up there, trying to make the bargain and getting everything a bit wrong? Because, you know, this, the second you make a slip-up of etiquette when you're dealing with spirits either in the classic or new worlds of darkness, you're on the receiving end of a hell of a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just, they're just going to shred you. Oh, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, and thank you. You found that from Law on the Forums, you said, huh? Law, yeah, yeah. She's submitted like six or seven in the last few days, but this is the first one that she put up a couple of weeks ago. She actually has maps of the area, like Google Earth images of the farms and stuff. So uh, if you want to get more details on that, head on over to our forums. And you'll, uh, if you look in the secret frequency thread there, you'll see the original original submission. Good stuff. At uh, darkerdays.tk. And uh, our email address, Mark? Darkerdaysradio at Gmail dot com awesome okay now we say this show is basically focused around storytellers and writing a, a story for your game session each week and planning out everything so we had a we got our three guests here and we planned some questions out and some talking points and uh the first one we would think about when you're writing your story is plan your story in advance uh, you know you can't say that too much you have to plan you have to plan you have to plan so if you were getting ready, how would you get started? How, how often would you write some stuff? And how much should you plan in advance? Let's start with Mr. Eddie Webb. Um, it's actually kind of interesting because uh, unless I'm doing like a convention game where I have to have a very rigid structure, uh, a lot of times I'll come to the table with a page and a half of notes and just go, let's see how this works. I actually don't yeah. plan a whole lot, but most of my planning occurs – before the game even begins, is as, um, before we do the Chronicle at all, I'll say, okay, we're going to do, uh, we're gonna do a vampire game set in the 80s in Miami. You guys are playing spot vampires. Go. And people make characters. From there, I'll go, well, that character has an interesting quirk I'll play with. And I'll, I'll pull from that a lot. And then, but it also comes to the table before I even start with the Chronicle and say, okay, I'd like to see a scene uh, with... Uh, a Colombian drug runner. I see a scene with uh, a guy uh, uh, bathing in his own blood. I want to see a scene with demon sacrifice. And so I kind of have these bullets of cool moments that I think would be awesome in the Chronicle. And then try to, okay, come to, come to the game table and go, okay, here's the cool moment I want to bring up. How can I tie this with the players? What makes the most sense given what's gone on in the past and where I kind of see things going? Uh, and I think a page, page and a half of notes. And usually it's like a uh, scene this kind of stuff. And, and actually, I use the SAS format in, in the uh, Storyteller Goal and PC Goals, and it's really kind of my, my notes for the entire scene. You know, ST Goal is introduce uh, Fabio Sooner. Uh, ST, or play, player Goal is try and get screwed over by Fabio Sooner. You know, so I'll come to it with that kind of preparation, but I don't do a lot of the pages and pages and pages and pages of preparation that a lot of other storytellers do. Right. Okay, and uh, Chuck, how would you do uh, topic number one in hand? Uh, I'm going to be completely lame and just go with me too. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, I really, I don't. I don't bring a ton of notes to the table. I'll do a page, page and a half, just like Eddie. Um, mostly, I think it's best to leave it to that character creation session, to leave it to the players. Um, encourage the players to do as much world building as possible. Um, anything from there's an arcade down on 7th where the arcade machines, you know, give you secret codes that summon demons, whatever. I mean, you know, you let them just 
uh, play in that world, and you, you give them the permutations, obviously. We're going to play Sin Eaters, we're going to play you know, Hunters, whatever we're doing here. Um, and, and they're going to give you a ton of really awesome threads that you can sort of pick up. Um, I from there is where I like to build the story because if usually you bring a big story to the table and it's, it's got this great, you know, labyrinth of facts in this, you know, giant net of information, you, you're going to be very disappointed when they go completely oh, yeah. away from that and just, you're like, well, but I did this awesome story and they're like, yeah, but we yeah, like this it. over here. Yeah, <laughs> so, no plot survives contact with the players. Hell yeah. No. Right. Right. So we've all had that happen and, and I think the best way to, to avoid that is to not step into that trap in the beginning and uh, just let the players be awesome. Be awesome, yes. Indeed. <laughs> and uh, Stu, how would you handle the situation? I can't even say me too, because Chuck's already taken that one. Go with me three. Three. Yeah. This is just one of those things where lots of, where there's a few general styles and lots of people glom onto each of them. So rather than handling the big picture, which the other guys have done so wonderfully, one specific tool I found that really helps make it work. Buy a big pack of index cards. Jot your note, jot down single sort of scene notes, ideas, scenes you want to see, brief character bios, whatever. One to an index card. Give a whole bunch out to your players. Come with some already prepared so they can see what sort of thing you're gunning for. Spread it all out. Gather them in at the end of the character creation session. You will have a huge pack of awesome ideas. Then, you know, find a corkboard or a spare bit of wall that you don't like or whatever. Stick the index cards up. Start making links with bits of string. And before you know it, you will have something that will last. No matter what the characters do, you can always find something to tie them in. It sounds like very much like a, a collaborative uh, mind map for the Chronicle. It really is. I, I'm hot on yeah. this. Of course I like you are. The idea of giving... I know. I'm, I'm hot for mind map right now. I've been... <laughs> I like the idea of giving the, of like a, half a, a bunch of blank ones to the players, you know, and then collecting them in at the end. So yeah. Put on, yeah. That's really cool. We've always uh, with me, this... I just... Oh, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. No, I was just, I was just with me, I just get bored. You know, that's the main reason that I can't get into, into heavy prep. I used to, in my younger days, I would sit and write pages and pages. But these days, 20 minutes to, to you know, to an hour, I'm bored. And so I've got to be able to, whatever prep has to be, just a few notes in that time. And then two or three weeks of crazy plotting in my head either side of it. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Strings, that's, cool. That's one of those things. As you sort of, one of the things I've found since, you know, obviously graduating from university, moving on to having full-time jobs and like, you just don't have the time to write out all the notes that you no. used to. No. And, and if you think about it, you're sitting down, often sitting down at the same table or in the same chat room on the same Skype chat, whatever, as all these other fantastically creative people. Why not steal some of them? You know, <laughs> steal some of their juice. Get it That's all right. working for you. Do you actually mean steal the person? Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> steal their soul. <laughs> Juice it and drink it for power. I think that's what Stu's saying. I think that's what <laughs> Stu is advocating, yes. No. Stealing souls. Right. Good. Good Good call. I'm with it. It kind of relates to that, actually. Uh, one trick that uh, maybe a pinnacle, now a lot of people may have heard of it, but for running mysteries, uh, this actually worked well for me for noir stories specifically, is um, you throw a bunch of stuff out there and then listen to what the players think is going on, then yes. backtrack one step, change one detail, and say that's the answer. <laughs> Hell Yes. <laughs> Nice. Totally. Works every nice. time. Yeah. No, that's good. We have a thing at our table we call the uh, the cup, which is not a thing you wear around. 
your special <laughs> I, area. I hope that's not on uh, the table. said it was. Well, I'm just, I wanted to clarify that to the audience. Because <laughs> uh, I'm sure everyone was just thinking that, Chuck. I know, I, I know they were. I know how well, if they were you, they probably would be. I'm sure Dave's <laughs> listening to the show thinking the same thing, too. So. <laughs> well, we just won't talk about that. Uh, in the cup goes a, uh, a, a horrible um, pastiche of, of scary, weird, bizarro ideas. Uh, everybody submits uh, little ideas. Um, it might be a character trait. It might be a merit. It might be a dark secret. Um, they all go into the cup. We usually do a few different rounds of this, maybe um, you know, a few during character creation and then one or two during each session. And it, it kind of randomizes the game a little bit. Uh, and it keeps everything fresh, and of course, that is the absolute antithesis to preparation, which is what you asked. But it still keeps everybody kind of uh, you know on their toes and contributing. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Uh, now they always say that if you don't care about your antagonists or your NPCs, that your players won't care about them. How much planning do you think you should put into making up your antagonists or your NPCs, or do you think you should just do it on the fly? And pff, who cares? Let's start with random person A. It really depends on what role the uh, NPC has in the Chronicle. I mean, uh, I, I uh, for the past certain number of years that I won't mention when I've been running games, um, I, I often come to the table with uh, a list of like 20 random names, uh, male, ma- male names, female names, and last names. And people say, hey, who's the waitress? I'll just cross off the first name, my female name I see, and say it's Blah. And those kinds of walk-on roles, uh, I don't plan for them, but more often than not, they seem to get a life of their own. They sure do. I'm with and, you. And, yeah. and because if you, if you have any detail, the players for some reason think, well, this is important. Even though if you go, listen, every person you've talked to, I've given the same not detail to, and they just this one must be important. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> um, so there is some of that, but at the same time, uh, I do agree that if there is a character that the players need to follow, the big bad, or the main villain, or uh, even... Uh, the character they have to try to find and follow, whatever it ties the Chronicle together, then yes, a lot of time uh, or at least uh, energy is put into that character. And uh, one thing I do that I think many writers do is I steal from around me as much as possible. I base it off of people from my childhood, from someone I saw at work. Well, in my work, it's a lot of strange people. Um, <laughs> you know, just people I see at the bus stop, I have a notebook and every time I see someone interesting, I just jot down uh, Fifty-year-old nice. uh, Hispanic man uh, talks in Spanish. Uh, seems very obsessed with uh, maps, you know, and, and that becomes a character in my game, possibly. So, a lot of times I don't prepare so much as go, "Oh, I remember that guy from five years ago. He'd be perfect here, and just use that guy." So, if you're at a bus stop in Georgia and you see a creepy guy with a notebook taking down notes, looking at you, you know who it is. <laughs> that's probably Justin Akeley. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's <laughs> I. I kind of do a similar thing to Eddie. I'm not sure if anyone's read Shadows of the UK, but I still owe about half of the werewolf characters detailed in that book a drink for their appearance. <laughs> um, other, other than that, I find not not so much the names, but just a list of random personality traits. Yeah, Just one for every throwaway NPC. Because no matter how often I try to make them different, if I don't have something like that on hand... Every barman, every waitress in a diner, anyone they meet on the street is going to have the exact same personality. Yeah. And that really starts getting cardboard cut out after a while. So I find it really helps. Short list, cross off one for every bit part character. If it turns out, if it turns out that they get a much bigger role in the story as time goes on, you can develop that. Or hey, just cross off the next two and blend them together. 
Now, what do you yeah. guys what do you guys do if your bit character all of a sudden suddenly becomes a major part like your PCs get annoyed at them and decide to just beat the crap out of them? Well, yeah, you joke we when again like Eddie, I've been gaming for you know X number of years. We'll just we'll just go with somewhere between one and one hundred. Um, <laughs> Close to one hundred. Uh, yeah, we had a cab driver in the game. It was just I mean, he was just a cab driver. I call a cab, and there is a guy driving it. That's just a normal thing, no big deal. That guy became like a rock star in the entire game. He was in every session. He was driving. They called him specifically because they didn't want different people seeing the kinds of things they saw. So he was always this cab driver, and it was like, well, my God, I have to really think of this guy now. Uh, so whenever I, you know, someone meets a character in game, or I have to conjure some new, you know, waitress or or, or cab driver, God forbid, um, I usually like to put two to three character like adjectives, traits, and then two to three skills that I think, even if they're not good at, that sort of embody that character, and um, I, I add to it as I go if I have to. But those three usually get me through, um, giving them a relatively full personality in short time, and allows me to remember what they're like going forward. Yeah, and yeah, the World thing, of Darkness uh, is... Sorry, carry on, man. I was say, um, I don't remember who I got this from. I got, a number of years ago, I heard it at con, but it was a great rule of thumb, is that uh, for those kind of spontaneous characters, every session players talk about them, you should add another layer to their personality. Oh. Mm. So, like, the first session you meet them, they're just a cab driver. If they call them again the next session, it's the cab driver who has a wife at home. If they call him the third session, he has a secret betting habit. If they call him the fourth session, he's really a... Uh, Werewolf. We call him the fifth session. He's trying to eat your face, you know, something. But each time they bring that NPC back, you add something to it, and then uh, after a certain point, you you have to make that kind of organic decision to go, okay, promote this guy to major NPC status, do more with him. But if it keeps coming, if they keep drawing back on it, give them just one more thing. Yeah, I like that. Cool. Well, I was just going to say that, uh, that I mean, you know, with with improvising characters have suddenly attained greater importance in the story. The World of Darkness system is so it's easy to do. I mean, you've got you know, oh, yeah. attribute plus ability. They're only rated one to five, and two is the average, and three is better than normal. So you can wing a stat out of nowhere, really. And that's I think that's a real strength of the system. And even what well, you even need to do that if you just go like, you know, hey, it's a cab driver. He's got that pool of five. Yeah. Yeah. You just yeah. yeah. From one to ten. Well, and this mm-hmm. is where I plug uh, block by bloody block. With uh, bit players, I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just throwing it out there, Eddie. I'm just throwing it out. Oh yeah, no, that was awesome. I, I fell in love with that section. Uh, go ahead oh, and describe yeah. it for those who haven't got it yet. Go ahead, tell about that. What's that? I'm sorry. What happened? What happened? I I said, for those who don't have it, go ahead and tell them about that section. Oh yeah, uh, bit players allows you to basically have you know three traits that kind of define you know your 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 actual three stats that define a character very fast in your physical mental uh social boom there you go now you have at least some quick numbers to, to kind of work with and how you could derive you know other roles uh, defense or uh, health or stuff from them so oh cool well we had we had david hill on the show just uh, last last week and he talked about uh, damnation city which i'd heard of but never seen so i finally managed to get a copy and that just completely blew me away so as a, as a ready resource that you know listeners or gamers can go to that has a lot of the kind of things that we've been talking about just now lists of you know one or two sentence npcs lists of personality traits flip a book open grab a guy grab a scene grab a location uh so yeah that's very much the kind of thing that i would go to if i was running low on inspiration myself yeah, Damage City is probably uh, the best four books I've ever written for Requiem. <laughs> There's just so much in that book. It's just it like, is. why is this one book? It is. It's a boat anchor, man. You could. It's amazing. It's huge. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, cool. Speaking about, did you guys, yeah, did you guys ever crop, uh, read the, the Troika system that was printed in the back of the digital web source book for Mage years ago? And no yes. one could understand what it was yes. doing there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's that. Vaguely. 
Well, the idea is you just you, you take things like names, locations, plot twists, conflicts, dilemmas, uh, cool background noise, and you, for each category you make three things, and then you kind of jumble these up and you know pick them out of uh, like you know, like you're picking tools out of a toolbox in game. Uh, it's in yeah, the back. Uh, Sorry, uh, uh, Over the Edge, which is a system by John Tweet from the early 90s, uh, they had a book called The Cut-Ups, which was um, a reference to a faction inside the game, but in there they actually had a system where you would go to a newspaper and cut out interesting words and just put them all right. into a cup. And actually that was the character creation system, was you pull out a bunch of words, like okay, these are your traits, make them work, here's the amount of dice you have to assign to them. Oh, nice. cool. Yeah, that is yeah, a well, brilliant, I... brilliant book. Anyone who's listening... It's called Whether the Cuckoo Likes, Hunt It Down. That's it, that's it, yes. Yes, I treasure Whoa. my copy. This is a, truly a thing of genius. Yeah, I have mine uh, as well. I know. Hmm. well I don't that's worth looking at. Well, we'll get you one, Chuck, don't worry. Thank you. All right. It's in the mail right now. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, moving on to the on to the question of the of the of the larger theme, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's years and years of great groundwork been laid by classic horror novels, horror movies, TV shows, uh, comic books, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, now, one of my personal approaches is to open these things and just steal and steal and steal some more. Um, Jeez, uh, <laughs> is uh, this is something that you guys would get a lot of use out of? Or are there various approaches that you would take to get the most out of uh, someone else's work? Any particular books or movies or shows that you'd recommend that are sources of good ideas or just give you that you know special creative spark? The tingly uh, feeling. We'll, yeah, we'll just I'll we'll just stab wildly at my screen and go uh, stew. Anything written by Grant Morrison? Find mm. it, track it down. It's packed full of so many throwaway lines and ideas. You know, one sentence is good enough. You steal that one sentence, you can build certainly one, two, three gaming sessions around it, you know. One single throwaway item in one of the Doom Patrol collections. Yeah, it's a TV that only broadcasts, that only picks up broadcasts from hell. It's it's just <laughs> throwaway. It's, it's in the background. And just think about all the fun you could have with that. And the Invisibles is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. When I like uh, the Seven Soldiers of Victory too, for uh, just pure good new world of darkness weirdness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Every, everything you write seems, or at least for a certain period, everything you wrote has that sort of core of high weirdness that you well, can just he, turn he, to he's also and attempting mind. to perform magic by writing it to some degree. So mm-hmm. well, yeah. yeah. Wicked. Well, uh, I, I, honestly, I was trying to. I get a lot of my inspiration from uh, my RSS reader. I mean, I subscribe to a lot of just uh, weird blogs, you know, uh, Boing Boing, uh, BBC, uh, uh, Wired. And while there's definitely a geek slant to that, uh, generally, hey, look at this weird, cool thing. And uh, I actually have uh, a series of bookmarks just called Idea Mine, which is, hey, this is something cool that, I'll throw into a game or a book or a story later, and uh, stuff like uh, um, I posted Twitter a couple a few weeks back. It was uh, uh, sentient fungus, you know, this fungus <laughs> that gets into people and actually starts taking over insects. And it's just like, holy fuck, that's cool! I have to use yeah, that. Oh, hell yeah! I'm a big fan of any of those uh, spores and fungi that, that do that. I mean, mm-hmm. by fan, I mean obviously I don't get right at love letters or anything. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Well. This is Chuck <laughs> we're talking about here. Yeah, Chuck, Chuck is sentient fungus. I know, that's actually all I am. I'm just a pile of fungus. <laughs> <laughs> going, going back to the question a little, one of the other big sources of inspiration, I think it was uh, Greg Stolze, 
that's how you pronounce his name, it was him or John Tynes uh, said that the greatest horror fiction being written is actually shelved in the crime section. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I'd agree with him. Um, David Simon, the guy who did a lot of research for Homicide Life on the Street and The Wire, he has several books out sort of detailing his experiences while he was researching these shows. And they are chock full of things you can mine for a horror game. You don't need to put a supernatural slant on it because this is it shows the inhumanity that man will show to other man. Yeah, yeah, one, one of the best things I, I did when I started becoming a horror writer um, is in the town I lived in, uh, I was lucky enough to be able to uh, ride with two police officers for a, sh a night shift on a weekend. And mm. so it was eight hours with these two cops, and they were really, really sweet to me. But they were in the, the gang unit, specifically the, the, the youth gang unit. And so they went to all the nastiest crime-ridden areas, and this is northern Ohio, um, you know, so they're, you know, these pretty uh, uh, nasty areas around the Cleveland area, um, and so, and just some of the, the shit I saw there, I mean, uh, there's one time where, um, uh, you know, they gave me the little bulletproof vest thing, and I wore that, and after, like, a few hours, I just didn't even notice it, uh, but we got, we pulled up to this one hotel, and one of the partners goes in, and they asked me to stay in the car, I was like, sure, no problem, then the other one goes in, and suddenly, uh, one of them runs back out to the car and says, get down, stay down, stay there until... We tell you to get back up. I'm like, uh, okay, sure. <laughs> Turns out that uh, they went to a domestic dispute call. Uh, the boyfriend wanted to get drugs off the girlfriends. Uh, the boyfriend didn't like the answer the girlfriend gave him. Shot her, shot their son, shot the guy who came to the door just at random to see what was going on. Uh, he had just completely lost his mind and was shooting at whatever was there. And uh, he very well would have killed both those cops and me if he had known that we were all there. I mean, they managed to apprehend him, but I was just like, the fact that someone can just lose it like that, and I was like, this is... You know, put a layer of vampires and werewolves on top of that, that, you, that, that's really fun and engaging, but really people are the most horrific thing I've ever seen. By the way, this yeah. is where we find out that Eddie was actually killed that night, and he isn't going to speak to us now. <laughs> From beyond the grave. <laughs> I'm a sin eater. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, I like uh, non-fiction stuff, too, uh, for the, the horror angle. I, As much as I, I do like horror fiction, um, for the most part, I, I, I for inspiration-wise and for, for the kind of material I use for be it writing or games, I tend to find it from uh, history books or true crime stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really great non-fiction material out there that will provide you with real-life craziness. Yeah, well, I like the idea of tapping into the RSS or seeing what's coming up on the news blogs. There was a fantastic story a couple of weeks ago, you know, about the Large Hadron Collider, where yeah. a couple of top-notch scientists yeah. reckon that it's sabotaging itself from the future. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's it's the time machine theory, whereby if you have a time machine, it'll let you travel back into the past. It'll only let you travel back as far as when the time machine first started to exist. Did so you see that movie in order, Climber? In order to not fully collapse the future, to simply be that one instant, because when you've got a time machine, what are you going to look at? You're going to look at yeah, the first yeah. time machine. So all of a sudden, you go from having this unfixed future to in massive flux to having everything happening at once. Very much, just to tie this back into gaming, like um, one of the scenarios presented for Ascension in Mage of the Ascension. Mm. And you have sort of, it's the end of the future as one moment. Yeah. So, it's not quite as crazy as it sounds. It's still crazy, but... <laughs> <laughs> not quite gibbering, maybe slightly above ranting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's about that. 
There's a great time talking, travel yeah. movie called called Primer. I don't know if you guys picked it up, and it's, it has that exact same idea. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you, that's a great little indie movie. They made that for cheap too. It's it's so simple and so strange. Like no budget, yeah. Yeah, yeah no budget. Yeah. Great. Very very cool. Gotta love those no budget movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking about the no budget movies, the Paranormal Activity out there, I haven't yet to see that, but I heard that's a great experience. Anyone check that out recently? Not yet, but I've heard really good things about it. Uh, uh, one of the guys at the office was telling me that it was actually really kind of cool and creepy and something a little bit different than uh, uh, she had seen before. So that's yeah, it's nice to see you know that the uh, the, the torture porn genre is uh, maybe uh, going to be submerged beneath the uh, you know creepy subtlety again. I, I, if I see the I, fucking Saw movie, I'm going to shoot myself. Dear God! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you're going to shoot yourself some crazy contraption like in the Saw movies because you know you that'd be awesome. Yeah, like some <laughs> Goldberg thing <laughs> just to prove your distaste of Saw. Yeah. Well, <laughs> We have to find out in six movies what's inside the box from movie one, so, you know. What's in the box? Nothing. Fuck off. Go away. <laughs> Boucher's head again. Lots of money. You know me. It's his sled and it's called Rosebud. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can it be Gwyneth Poucher's head called Rosebud? Because that's fine. Or on a sled. Yeah, sure. Why not? All of them in one. How about on a stick? Head on a sled. Yeah, I could. It'll be a Kaiser Soze mug sitting next to it. <laughs> 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 it's a box of every plot twist ever. <laughs> nice. Now it's actually nah, nothing. Never mind. <laughs> okay, let's. Grandma sleeps in there at night. <laughs> actually, that's Chuck's home, and they didn't want to reveal that. So no, no, we don't want to. <laughs> Back on track. Uh, talking about. Oh my God, really? <laughs> <laughs> We've seemed to have gone off track now. Uh, doing research for your story. The background of your story. Uh, how much time or effort are you guys going to put into any of that? Or I mean, should you know your setting? Say, like, if you want to pick uh, Los Angeles or Chicago, or you just like to grab one of the pre-made White Wolf settings because that's what you're supposed to plug and say. And <laughs> let's go with Chuck oh, on that on. one. Everyone knows that okay. White Wolf projects don't research. No, we don't. No, who? who no, I don't research anything. I, I just make stuff up. I didn't even know England was a country, and I just started writing a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> So whatever I think it's in Africa I'm not even sure uh, yeah no I mean I, I, I actually think as far as I, I think with plot you can you can do too much and over prepare but as far as background and um, both historically and uh, as far as your physical setting goes I, I don't think you can do enough research on that because you may not use it all but you'll always have just this great buffet table of little nuggets you can sort of pick up and like oh hey you're here and there's this thing and you know it's whatever's at this club or whatever's there's this weird bridge I, I Stu maybe you know about this I think it's in Scotland I was just reading about this the other day where this there's is the bridge. dog bridge the dog bridge yeah yes yeah that's true the suicide dog bridge that's crazy we've lost three dogs on that bridge what's that we've lost three dogs on that bridge it's not funny are you serious? You know, you're... No. <laughs> of course, it's like 12. <laughs> 47. I'm going to hang up. <laughs> yeah, I say, I say you can't do enough information, honestly. There's just, just a great deal of research, and you're going to thank yourself when you need to reach for something cool. <laughs> like an, like one of the nuggets on a buffet table. Right, right. Right. That that dog bridge is one of the things that Law submitted during this week. She came up with, like, five creepiest places on Earth, and... Uh, that that Sedlec Monastery was one of them actually the, the Monastery of Skulls yeah that was uh, in a yeah. Oh, yeah. this week right yeah, that's right that's yeah. it yeah 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 yeah. and the uh, Aoki Gahara Forest with the uh, mm-hmm. all the 500 suicides yeah 
that's a great world of darkness thing because they there's people there who go treasure hunting to find out to find like what was in the wallets of all the dead people people find credit cards and keys and there's a whole world of darkness story right there oh hell yeah. yeah that's 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 a big thing especially when having read all of this true crime you sort of discover how much preparation that most suicides go through so you've got to think if they're still carrying keys still carrying credit cards was it really suicide mm. right right Cool. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, I was talking to uh, Russell Bailey about the other day because uh, I had written a short story uh, involving suicide, and he was like, "No, actually, suicides go through much more preparation than that." And because going on that, you know, most times they'll have everything very neatly packed up, and you know, we'll we'll go through a series of motions before they commit the act. And I was like, "Oh, so you know, this happens occasionally?" He's like, no, very frequently. And so I, that blew me away and helped me to kind of. I was just swimming with story ideas at that point in time. You know, I was like, "What happens if you're not prepared, or if you overprepare? You know, what if something changes last minute?" You know, of course, I was in, I was working on Geist at the time, so it was very kind of there's a lot of Geist ideas for the prepared suicide versus the unprepared suicide, but still, yeah. it was really engaging. Oh yeah, uh, the big the big rule for any sort of victim you see on the on the pavement, if they're wearing glasses, they were pushed or slipped or fell. If they've taken them off, it was suicide. Interesting. Huh. Something as small as that, that's really neat. It's like going to sleep. Yeah. You've been watching yeah. too much CSI lately, haven't you, Stu? Oh, God. I live on a diet of law and order. <laughs> <laughs> Secretly, Stu's actually just been killing people. He's just been putting... <laughs> <laughs> he just oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's how you... I, I, I am the modern-day Jessica Fletcher, only, you know, male. <laughs> I, yeah, I hope so. That's how he gets inspiration for writing his stories for Way Wolf. He just murders people and writes about it. Like It's all true. Steve, <laughs> American oh, murder. Yeah. American murder, yes. We, we, we dubbed you. <laughs> By the way, if, if you're uh, looking for evidence on uh, White Wolf and how you should you know, burn our books and not buy our products, please don't listen to this podcast. For <laughs> 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 the love of God. <laughs> uh, but going back to research, um, actually, uh, I kind of cheat because my wife is a physical anthropologist. She actually is going towards uh, her degree in studying uh, uh, human remains. Oh, wow. oh and, cool! Um, she actually uh, spent uh, a fortnight in London studying uh, uh, at uh, the Natural History Museum there, studying some of their uh, remains from like the 19th century, because she was doing this thesis on 19th century and uh, arthritis. And so she went to uh, Washington D.C. She went to London doing all this research. And if if we, I even mention CSI around her, she goes into a frenzy and foams and goes, "It's all wrong! It's all horribly, horribly wrong." Uh, yeah, but, it's, <laughs> but it's really been uh, fascinating because I can, you know, call my wife up at work and go, "So what happens with that body about two weeks after they've been killed? That they're left into a running car?" And she's like, "Well, this will happen." And blah 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 blah. Their skin will slough off in this direction, and they'll smell oh. a bit like this. It's like, "Okay, cool. Thank you very much, honey. I love you." <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's some that's some great first date talk. Love and corpses. The Eddie Webb story. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. The other great thing is that when she eventually gets her doctorate and call her Doctor Webb, and she become the best Spider-Man villain ever. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, I mean, on the on the on the front of research, how helpful do you find it to set games in places that you've lived in or visited very often? Or, uh, you know, I've got a recurring mage game that's set in Manchester, where I haven't lived for many years, but I spent a few years there, and it's my go-to place, no matter where I happen to be living at the time. You know. Uh, that's interesting because uh, I've gone both directions with mixed success. Uh, for a long time, I set most of my games in Cincinnati because I lived there for five years, and Cincinnati is 
wonderfully creepy in a very underground kind of way, which is perfect for a lot of the kind of uh, modern uh, noir or horror games that I tend to run. Um, like, for example, they have an underground subway that they started building for like two years and then just stopped, and no one knows why, but tunnels are still there, but there's no Ooh. subway whatsoever. And so that's just begging. I've run like three or four stories based on that fact alone. You know, it's it's really uh-huh. kind of interesting. Um, and so sometimes, uh, like my first move to Atlanta, I ran a couple of games for people who had lived in Atlanta, and I still set them in Cincinnati because I was not comfortable with Atlanta, but the players were. And so I don't yeah, want to get exactly. caught up in details by setting yeah. it in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, uh, by setting it someplace that the players are familiar with and you're at least passingly familiar with, it does have a sense of immediacy. Um, interestingly, uh, I did a game set uh, in uh, London, England, but all the players at the table had visited London or spent a, a significant time there. Uh, my wife and I have been five, six times. Uh, my roommate has been there a couple times. My uh, friend Kelly uh, Barnes, uh, she actually did uh, some schooling there. So we're all familiar with the area enough as players that we could kind of speak the same language, but not so overly familiar that someone would say, well, no, that's actually not like that. Um, yeah. So we familiar enough that we all kind of... I can say it looks like this, or it's this area. We go, oh, okay, I know where you know uh, uh, Whitechapel is, or I know where Westminster's at, but not like you know. Well, if actually if it's on this street as opposed to that street, you don't know that much detail. So that was extremely useful. Um, but uh, it, it's it really depends on what the players are into. Um, I've even run fictional cities, and I think that's actually the worst option I found. Yeah, because no one has any sense of no one has any sense of kind of common ground. Yeah, it's right. sort of way too made up, and it, first of all, it also puts a lot of work on you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I only set games in places I've been um, because it's just easier for me to. If even if the players haven't been there, I feel like I can more accurately convey a mood. Every place you've been has a feel to it. I mean, it's just out in L.A., and that has its own feel. You got know, mm-hmm. uh, London, that certainly has its own feel. They all have their own kind of mood and theme kind of going on, and I think you can harness that if you've been there and portray it to the players without having to worry if they've been there or not. Yeah. yeah well, I thought that was interesting about uh, about Damnation City is there's actually a, a made-up city at the back there, in the, in the back of the mm-hmm. book. I think it's called Newcastle or something. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know how that works in play, though. Uh, I, I've had some people say it worked fantastic success, and also um, some people really enjoy having that distance because... Uh, I actually ran into a player at a convention a few years ago, and she said she never plays in places she lived because she didn't want to think of places she's lived in mm. in the sense of horror. And so having a fictional mm. city made her feel like she could get involved in the horror more because it wasn't real. There wasn't that kind of emotional connection. It's not like, you know, there's one thing to find a dead body spot on the pavement. It's another thing to have a dead body spot on the pavement next to the place where you bought your first dog. Right. <laughs> no so I can see that kind of distance, but for me, that's actually uh, a, a feature, not a bug. I like the fact yeah. that, oh my god, this horrible thing happens in a place that I've been. That makes the horror more real and therefore more kind of resonates and I think gets the proper mood going. Yeah, I agree. Speaking about mood and horror, what's going? What do you guys consider going too far? Well, I shouldn't ask Chuck this question, but what do you consider <laughs> going? What's going too <laughs> far with horror? Uh, Stu, what would you think about that? The trick, the trick with going too far is knowing what everyone around the table is comfortable with. You know, mm-hmm. if if the people you're playing with aren't comfortable with something, it's important to know in advance because it could be something perfectly normal. Well, I say perfectly normal, perfectly normal within the context of horror. You know, so a character 
dog is kidnapped and returned to them in three boxes. So. But, you know... That's normal? You, I said normal for horror. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I usually get a box of a dog, you know, three parts every day, so... Yeah, right. I, I, I probably it delivered to me. It's like a uh, dog in the month club or something. <laughs> God damn it, that was my joke! Some assembly required. I am you, Eddie. But, you know, if, if one of your players has actually had something of a similar scale happens to them, then they obviously won't be exactly happy with you including that in the game. So it's, as many of these things are, it boils down to an issue of communication between storyteller and the players. Figure out what everyone's expectations are, figure out where the comfort zones are. More importantly, figure out what's outside the comfort zone but not taboo, because that sort of overlap there is the right place where you can start yeah. getting the players just on edge, which is the goal of a really good horror story. That's really interesting. Um, I have actually an anecdote I got just today, like right before I left for the day at work, um, is uh, one of my uh, co-workers in marketing, uh, well, my co-workers who's also from marketing, uh, showed me a leaked trailer for the first mission for uh, Modern Warfare 2. And uh, I have to be keeping up past there too, but there's a lot of kind of hullabaloo because it's very, very, very realistic in terms of how it portrays terrorism and how people approach terrorism. And uh, I did not get a chance to watch the trailer, but he said he watched it. And he was uncomfortable and disturbed by what he saw the antagonist doing in the story. And he, that, he said the game makes him feel uncomfortable, but in a way that he really thinks he wants to go and buy the game. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting because yeah. it made him just uncomfortable enough to be really engaged by the product on a very meaningful level and the idea of uh, art and uh, story games interactive games being a way to comfortably express extremely uncomfortable ideas yeah. and I thought god damn if I could get that into a World of Darkness game I, I should bottle that and sell that because that is right to me that was kind of the, the, the idea moment of that is what horror gaming should be right at that exact level of I'm uncomfortable with this but still engaged yeah, not, not just yeah. horror gaming, but I think horror in general always strives for that brass ring of, Absolutely. obviously you don't want to push too far, but you, you do want to disturb and unsettle and um, create that sort of, you know, that pit in the stomach that you want, that people want it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the weird thing. Yeah, they want to be horrified or they wouldn't right. be playing. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's interesting the idea about, you know, and I agree, you have to know the boundaries of your players as well, you know, the people around the table. But uh, I think that makes for an interesting dilemma, for example, if you're running a game at a convention uh, where you don't know the people at the table. So are you, are you intentionally then you're going to scale it back a little bit just to be sure that you don't cross that line? Or you're going to say up front, guys, uh, this story is going to contain graphic scenes of dog dismemberment. So if anybody has a problem with that, speak up now. I mean, how, do, how would you best approach that? Or you could just walk to the table and say, hi, my name is Chuck. <laughs> dog dismemberment. Yeah, no, I, believe it or not, I don't get, I don't, I don't usually push the extreme buttons um, at my table. Usually it's weird stuff or creepy stuff rather than extreme stuff. I mean, I, I think there's going to be a few things that you can always assume are taboo, you know, um, yeah. to do with rape, anything to do with animals or children getting hurt, or always, you know, kind of a sensitive issue. But, you know, if you're telling a horror game, there are certain things, if it's in a horror book, if it's in a World of Darkness book, you, you have to assume that in meeting new people, this is going to be within their comfort zone because they're looking to play a World of Darkness game. They're not playing, you know, Space Ponies or whatever it is. Hey. Uh, well, shut up about Space Ponies. That's right. Uh, no, I mean, so 
they're going to have to be comfortable with some degree of creep and horror and squick factor. You know, it's just you have to kind of know those things that are generally taboo. And if you don't see them in movies, you don't read them in books, you don't see them in the World of Darkness products, then it's probably a good idea to not go there. Well, I was right. like, interesting when I uh, ran two sessions of New Wave Requiem at Gen Con, which was the uh, 80s source book we did for Requiem. And uh, the big thing that uh, when we were developing it and kind of talked about it uh, is that this is a time where racism and uh, hate crimes against uh, uh, gays was really stronger than it is now. And yeah. it's not, it wasn't like really bad as like the 50s or or 60s, but it was still really prominent, and it's casual is the big thing. It was very casual. It just kind of that guy over there is a black guy, and I'm not going to go in the epitaphs, but when I sat down at the table I said, you're going to meet characters that are very comfortable with saying really horrible things. If you guys are not okay with that, they'll say really horrible things about completely different topics, but they'll still say horrible things that you're comfortable with. And when I said it up front like that, not one person seemed to have a problem with it. On, in a, earlier in my gaming career, when I was running uh, Conspiracy X, for those who may recognize that name. Um, Very cool. Well, I had it way back in first edition, actually. Um, it was a horrible system at the time, but it's much better now. But um, anyway, I was running it, and I did not have that preface in saying what kinds of things I was going to uh, uh, attempt. Um, and I was running it as very much like a horror game, even though it's kind of a, kind of a conspiracy sci-fi game. I was doing a lot of horror elements with it. Um, and... Uh, one of the NPCs attempted to rape a PC, and she was not okay with that. And uh, I stopped the game, we sat down and talked about it, and uh, I quickly realized I was wrong. I should not have done that without talking to the player first. And that was my big learning moment, saying, this is what you do and don't do. That's where the line is, for me, with horror gaming. Um, and I had to learn that in a very unfortunate way. Uh, it, it's sad that I had to learn that respect. It was quickly uh, smoothed over. We went in the direction with the game. Um, everyone was happy with it. She was totally fine with it after that initial kind of shock, but when I first started doing it, just out of the blue, she's like, I am not okay with this. I've run yeah. this sometimes with LARP, too, because LARP can get very physical. Um, there's certain things that it's at the gaming table, you can kind of say, well, I go ahead and smack her in the face, but at a LARP, to, to have someone actually do that is a very different kind of reaction. So, at live action games, also, you have to kind of do these are the things that are acceptable. They're not acceptable. Um, anything beyond that has to be completely consensual before it's done, and the players have to discuss it ahead of time. So, yes, I've learned a lot that you, you really have mm. to be very open with that dialogue. Well, yeah, I can give a good example of it. I was at a convention about six months ago, a local PA convention, Mepicon, and uh, we were playing on a vampire game, and the guy running it didn't tell us what was coming ahead of us, so and one of the girls actually walked out on it. We had... We went to this contact we were speaking to, and while we were speaking to the contact, this ghoulish type guy, I, don't, I never figured out what he was, but he kept reaching over into a box and pulling out small children and ripping their heads off and eating the brains in front of everybody <laughs> while he was telling what? us what we needed to do. Oh he had a box, a so box full of them? Lost. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he had a box. He would just open the box. He pulled it out. He ripped the scalp off while they were alive. And talk to them, start picking out the brain. He was eating it, and the guy was demonstrating it. So the girl just got up, walked away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah. Was it like snacks for this guy? <laughs> yeah. It, I'm he, trying to figure out how big would the box have to be to I, I, do this more than once or twice. Yeah, I'm mean, <laughs> still. Like, quiet. We never got that far because you can't stop. Babies, you can't just have a box of babies there. I mean, come on. <laughs> that box is going to be crying. Let's be clear. <laughs> 
But, I mean, to, but, that, that actually speaks to another point, though, is um, you talk about what's too far. There's this also weird kind of level with horror where too far is actually okay because it's so ludicrous. And, and honestly, I would have seen that and been like going, really? It's, right. it's just camp almost, you know? It's yeah, like, why yeah. would I really be doing that? It just doesn't even make sense. And so that point in time, I'm not horrified. I'm just amused. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, there's a point where, and you can play that kind of uh, extremely, almost like uh, um, the, like the 80s B-movie, horror movies where, you know, guys are being chopped apart with lawnmowers. You know, it's like, yes. it's so ridiculous. You can't even take it seriously. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the reaction I get to things like Saw and Hostel, uh, you know, uh, Maybe it's wrong of me, but I just find them wildly amusing because it's just so crazy and over the top. You know, it's just completely mad, implausible scenes, uh, and it loses its horror element and becomes more of a kind of yeah, just for giggles, really. Well, yeah, yeah really. Like, Ixaw is really just basically you know, it's like arcade from the Marvel comics from the eighties. I'm like, really? Put a bow tie on this guy for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> you watch the movie to see how far they can actually go. Yeah. Okay. Mark, you have any other questions? Well, yeah, I, I was wondering, um, just kind of on a, on a more general level, uh, where would, as a theoretical question, where would you like to go uh, in your own horror games that you haven't been yet? What kind of things uh, are you most looking forward to doing in the near future? A horror approach or a story or a theme or a, just a moment of squeakiness that you've not done yet? Your kind of unfulfilled horror fantasy. Picking someone, or are we going to just all start talking? About you this? guys can just fight over who gets to speak for us. That'd be kind of entertaining. And Stu, you and I are taking Eddie. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Not it. Not it. <laughs> well, we'll pick. Story. You know what? Yeah, I'll, let me. I'll tell you a story. We, we the, the issue with horror gaming for me is, as much as I enjoy it, it is very difficult to actually demonstrate horror. It's a real tricky thing to sort of, unless you're going to go to theatrics and create basically a haunted house atmosphere and lower the lights and candles and stuff, it can be very difficult to actually demonstrate a really strong horror vibe. You can sort of get them worked up about the threat level of their characters, but you can do that in any game, whether it's a science fiction game, whether it's D&D, whatever. The, the one time I think we nailed it was Cult. We did one session of cult, and I mean, it wasn't so much that was boundary crossing in the sense that we, you know, had had rape or child death or anything like that. But like, one character was like a <laughs> Vietnam vet, and you know, because all the characters had dark secrets because it's a cult, and you know, the, the one guy was a Vietnam vet, and in during Vietnam, he like watched his sergeant uh, uh, sacrifice um, the Viet Cong to uh, to like dark gods, and he didn't understand it. And one guy was like paranoid about the phone company, and everybody got so into it and so messed up about it. It actually freaked everybody out, even though the game itself wasn't that scary. Like I didn't do a lot to heighten the fear. I just played off the things that they, you know, left before me. This crazy little gory um, trail of breadcrumbs. Everybody was spooked out, and so spooked out we actually decided not to play it again because it was like. I just don't, I don't feel well. Like, it wasn't that fun. Like, it was cool when we had it. Like, it was a great eight-hour session, but we didn't want 16 hours. We were, we were done. Eight hours, packaged, closed, you know. Cool. So what I would like to do is I would like to get close to that again. I don't want to, you know, obviously get to that point where we don't want to play it anymore, but I, I would like to see again where we can, I would really love to spook my players out, really just unsettle them in some, you know, kind of that, that David Lynchian, like, things don't quite make sense and I don't feel well kind of way. Yeah, 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 yeah. The whole Twin Peaks thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
But interestingly, I actually tried to watch Twin Peaks because it's available for streaming on uh, Hulu and C- uh, CBS.com and whatnot, and I watched it again. Mm. And I-, I wasn't that creeped out at all by it. And I was trying to figure out why it didn't creep me out, and I realized because I knew. I, I kind of knew what was going on now. Yeah. I-, I read the books and whatnot, and I realized that that moment was lost. And I think that's one of the kind of conflicts we sometimes have with the game like The World of Darkness where by the nature of our product, we have to put the secrets to the page. I mean, we have to write the books and tell you how these things work out, and players have just as much access to those as storytellers do. Right. And so they kind of know what's coming. Uh, that takes elements of, of mystery out of it. And so one thing I would like to do at some point in time is to do a, a skin game, as I've been thinking of it, is basically where uh, we're going to sit down and we're going to play Vampire or the Requiem and make a character, blah, blah, blah. And then they start playing, they realize that actually it's slowly turning into something that's completely not like what's going on. Yeah. The mm. downside of this is that this requires that big thing about preparation that I said that I don't do. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the catch-22 I'm having is how can I do a game that slowly evolves into a different game right. in an organic way? And that's the, that's the kind of the, the, the hump I'm trying to have to figure out a way to get over yet. Yeah, that was actually, yep. believe it or not, that's how we um, I introduced my players to the Changeling playtest. I told them, I mean, they signed all their NDAs and everything, and they had playtested several games before that. They'd been playtesting all the way back to um, Under the Reckoning. But they uh, they wow. thought we were going to finally sit down and play a game of Mage the Awakening, which is actually the one game, sadly, we have not yet fully played. I mean, I think we, we've sat down with it for a session or two, but we haven't actually gotten a chronicle out of it. So they thought they were going to they created these characters who were going to eventually become mages and everything, and I took them through the, the, the abduction into fairy, and they still thought they were playing mage, because they had no idea. <laughs> and it was, so that actually was good, because it spooked them out. They didn't know what was happening. There was generally a sense of confusion and disturb disturbance in them, so that that was a successful nice. session, too, because uh, I subverted their expectations. And, 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 and even still then, because we were playtesting Lost and Lost wasn't out and the players did not have access to that, they were constantly experiencing that sense of both horror and wonderment that's that's uh, part and parcel of that game. So, you know, when you can, whenever you can manage that, I, you really got to nail it. And that's actually that my, things for a good point is that we just sat for five, ten minutes talking about open communication to players, finding where the boundaries are, and then turned around and just contradicted their own advice and saying, yeah, this is a bird player's expectation. So this is really... I, I think horror role-playing games are probably some of the most sophisticated games because there's just so many elements and uh, concerns you have to bring to the table. It's like, you know, you have to talk to your players some amount, but you also have to kind of trick them a little bit because they don't, they don't, you have to have an element of mystery to it. And it's... it's I think that's why um, you don't have a lot of horror games so much as games that have horror moments in them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's I think I think people say, Oh, we have this game at every game everyone was scooped out and creeped out, blah blah blah. It's like you're a liar. You know, I just I I, I've, I have never seen that happen. Um unless they're doing like just a, a consecutive series of one shots, which you know, they're yeah. it's not really a chronicle at that point in time. You're just basically right. playing the same game over and over again. Um so it's it's uh, it, it's such it's such a conflict and that's why when at conventions, people are like, you know, what's your one piece of advice about horror gaming? It's like, don't run a horror game, really. I mean, run a good game and let the horror come out from it. Yeah. But that's not really advice so much as, hope it works. <laughs> <laughs> good luck. See ya. I think trust is a big thing, too. I think you have to have players who trust you. So if you're going to, if you're not going to be explicit about the boundaries, they have to know that you're not going to fuck them over. Or yeah, if, you, if you're going to. If you're going to do a bait and switch, you don't want them to trust you. By the same time, yeah, if the yeah. players trust you too yeah. much, 
then the element of horror can be completely. They feel they feel too safe. They, you know, yeah. trust you. Like it's all right. It's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Must admit, I've always wanted to subvert that feeling of being safe. You know, you ramp up to the end of the chronicle, and there's that one moment where they have a chance to stop the bad guy, and you know, he launches into the 35 minute speech from Watchmen <laughs> or whatever, and they look out of the window and. The balloon's already gone up. There's the mushroom clouds on the horizon. And it's like, right, same time next week, guys. <laughs> and, and that's definitely something. Um, I remember uh, Justin and I were talking about this at uh, Gen Con a couple of years ago. We we're talking, you know, we we're doing a, a panel on uh, horror and gaming. And uh, he kept mocking me because I kept saying, uh, uh, punish the players and do horrible things to the players, and Justin's like, you mean characters, you don't mean the players. I'm like, no, totally, it's fine. No. <laughs> but, no, I mean the uh, Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, but the, it really is uh, so antithetical, because um, if the players are constantly succeeding, you're not really approaching horror. If the players are constantly failing, they're just frustrated. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, but a lot of times, I, I would uh, do things like... Um, they come into the game, they get their base of operations set up, they settle down, they do uh, a story, they come back to their house, they refresh, they go to the next story, they come back and their house is on fire. And Hell yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's, but a lot of that for me, a lot of that style for me comes from being an old school Cyberpunk 2020 referee, which is yeah. the only game I know that basically says, screw your players over at every opportunity. <laughs> Fuck them up, make them miserable, um, and maybe their this characters too, but really just abuse them. And, you know, so uh, I, I generally tend to roll my dice openly. You know, I, I generally tend to be kind of, um, yeah, no, that guy shot you in the head, you're dead. Sorry, make a new character. Uh, out of new, yeah. <laughs> dead. Wait, um, wait I for think something that, to play. Sorry, go on. No, I'll say is, is that, that sense of consequence needs to be there, I think, for horror to be meaningful. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you ideally wait for some, wait for your players and the characters, but especially the players to get comfortable with something. Going back to what we were talking about, probably the first question about horror, with the recurring NPCs, recurring characters. You know, mm -hmm. build them up, build them up, build them up, build them up. There's his corpse. <laughs> right. You know, just com completely out of the blue. Someone there, they're expecting to meet someone, and he's not there, and he's dead. Mm -hmm. And then, because what you what you're doing with recurring characters and so on is you're building sort of the fundamental reality of the world. It's it's not real because you know you have the same bum and you have the same taxi driver every time, but it's it's real <laughs> enough. And then all of a sudden you're throwing a massive curveball by just killing off part of it almost on a whim, and that really sort of destabilizes how the players are how the players see the world. Yeah, and all of a sudden, they realized, "Holy crap!" It's emblemized to me by the um, the episode of uh, Buffy, the uh, the body when her mom dies. That to me is just mm. such a great because it's not, really not even about the horror of it or about the vampires or whatever. It's just you know, a lot of TV shows overuse the whole death. Uh, whether someone died at the end of the season, someone died at the end of the episode, it's a cliffhanger. It's a kind of a cheap um, stunt, you know, and it's this kind of way of taking the stakes actually off the table and removes conflict as opposed to creates it. But with that that whole thing that her mom dies, it's such a heavy moment, and it it it's so unexpected, and it's you know it's that NPC that you've grown to love and you've you've expected to be a part of the fabric of the series, and suddenly, boom, just gone. There's a similar uh, in uh, uh, I want to say the end of season four of House, where they spend an entire year building up a character and then just gone. Right. And you yeah. think, oh, she's coming back, she's coming back, and she never does. 
But yeah. she kind of does. I'm not gonna spoil it, but, she, but really, she's dead. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 And well. I mean, the, the nice thing about that is also it's the uh, she starts off dead. They spend the entire episode building up expectations, and they go, ah, "No, really, she's dead." Yeah. That whole <laughs> the, the that episode of House where they do go back onto how she may have died or died or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, I, I assume you're talking about yeah. Amber. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah. right. How they sort of reconstruct the scene and uh, the event—that's it, a classic, classic uh, two uh, two episode series. The one that always springs to mind for me is uh, is the movie Psycho. You know, the the old Hitchcock movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. B- b- before my time, but my dad talks about when they went. People go to see it at the cinema, and it's you. Know, it's a Janet, Janet Lee movie, who was the big starlet of the day. And then within half an hour into the film, she's dead, and he describes people in the cinema around him just gasping and shocking. You can't kill Janet Lee. What then? They're all, all right, right from that moment on, all better off, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great. Okay. As we sit here in silence. And a chill filled the room. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and that's actually what you could do with reoccurring NPCs. If they get too complicated, just fucking kill them off. That's fine. That's, that's right. Yes. Right in front of the players. <laughs> Sorry. Rip their scalp you off and drag the character into a reality. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, I love dice in the open. I just roll the dice on the table. Let him see. There you go. That was your character. But I uh, soak. No, no, no soaks. Yeah, it's it's lethal. Yeah. You're done. No, you're dead. Too bad. Sorry. Now you guys all roll on the open. Anyone use shields or anything like that? Or to be fair, I, I say I was never dice in the open. I actually do use uh, screens a lot um, for other stuff. Like um, I'm looking for a clue. Okay, I roll dice and, and I'll respond based on that. And a lot of times I'll just roll dice for the sound and say what I was gonna say yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, generally, when uh, it comes to like the final battle, the big scene where you know. Uh, the stakes are high and the players are emotionally invested when it happens, that tends to be when I put the dice out. And I do that intentionally because I want them to know that we're all going to kind of stand by what these dice say and the players become much more thoughtful. And to me, that's kind of the two ways you represent violence. You can do the movie violence, it tends to be dice behind the screen. You know, you get shot, no big deal, so on and so forth. When you put the dice up front, then it's the, okay, the stakes are big, someone may die, it could be you, what do you want to do now? And so I, I, I do it kind of tactically. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I do. That's exactly what I do. I'll, you know, on, on scenes where obviously I want the mystery there, I hide it. But then during battles and things where people need to know that I'm not dicking with them and that the uh, the stakes are serious, that yeah, I put it right on the table. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that's how I do it as well. See? Well, we're all the same. Just somebody, one of us, really. I mean, because <laughs> we're all saying the same thing. Yes, you are the check. You are the uh, the Chuck Eddie Wilson. <laughs> Fan club. I don't know. That's right. When, when, see, we all start with the W's. Well, that is kind oh, of wow. That is creepy. <laughs> that's yep. a story in itself. Yep. We're the we ones who invented at- the WWW for the internet. That's that's us. All three of us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. We're actually three just regular Joes possessed by the spirit of the internet, speaking with its voice. <laughs> that's awesome. Chuck, you got shadow stories. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. There you go. I'm, it's in. Yeah, actually, or you just do an SAS about that. There you go. That works, too. <laughs> All right. You guys, uh, starting with Chuck, you want to plug your stuff so everyone knows how to contact you, what they can read about you? And... Uh, yeah, no, I have a new um, a new fireman's calendar where I'm... Uh, you know, <laughs> <fireman's> <laughs> Whoa, now. Uh, no, no, wait. I'm sorry. That's I'm, I'm nda on that. I can't talk about that one yet. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, no, uh, terribleminds.com and uh, thestoryverse.com, Shadow Stories, the serial fiction that is funny and uh, profane. 
Okay, and uh, Eddie? Um, yeah, right now, uh, the big thing I'm doing outside of work is uh, whitechapelproject.com, my interactive fiction. I just put up episode six today, um, and uh, I just actually ran a contest to kill off all my listeners in the fiction, so that should be fun. <laughs> and you can find all my other contact links on the side of the page for Whitechapel Project. Okay, and Stu? I'm still maintaining a sort of non-blog blog at zeropointinformation.com, just with information about upcoming releases. I'm sort of up to my... I've just this week got up to my eyes in funky stuff, but I can't really talk about any of it just now. Funky secrets. Outstanding. Okay, and you can always contact us at Mark. Radio at gmail.com Mark, I, I, you can also, yeah. there's no pause in that. I, I didn't like that, Mark. I want to hear it again. Uh, radio at gmail.com that was a good. Yeah, oh, that was nice. Much better. Much better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, one one of these days he's actually going to put the dot com in the next episode. Episode <laughs> <laughs> dot com, and we're back. <laughs> I have asked permission to do that, but uh, <laughs> you can also follow us on Twitter, just uh, WGPRN on Twitter, and if you have Facebook, just uh, type in Dark It Is Radio, and you'll find our Facebook fan page. Uh, we have seventeen fans right now. It's amazing. Ooh, we're getting up there. <laughs> Pretty cool. We don't see any Chuck or Eddie or Stu on there, though. Uh, nothing. Never mind. No, sorry. <laughs> I see how it is. <laughs> you know, yeah, no love for us at Darker Days. No, just kidding. And, uh, all right, guys, we're going to be heading off tonight. Thank you for joining us for episode 13. And, Thanks, uh, guys. Have a wonderful night. And uh, DarkerDays.tk is our website. You can follow me on Twitter, AluCardD20. You can leave a voicemail on Skype if you have Skype at AluCardD20. And if you want to send us an MP3 file, you can do that as well through the email, darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Have a wonderful night, folks. folks and back by popular demand the after show for darker days pretty much we're just going to sit here and just bullshit about everything cock spiders (laughs) 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 interestingly enough yeah the music (laughs) spider bites the cock oh hey skype liked us this time we didn't have any weird chickens no 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 no, no. at the beginning no the beginning was awesome by the way I, i was I'm glad I had mute because I was laughing my ass off the entire intro. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, had, I was when Mark first sent that to me. I was just like, okay, he signs the letter Derek. So I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? And I listened to the audio file. I'm like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, we had less fun doing that. Yes, I appreciate you and your wife sitting down to do that for us, Mark. I mean, Derek. I mean, Mark. <laughs> hey now, hey now, <laughs> you starting? 
Yeah, how long did you practice the accent for? Oh, 15, 20 years. I'm going to say 20 minutes. <laughs> hey, it's not this easy. You're do- born to play that role. Yes. <laughs> not easy doing a Liverpool accent, huh? Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, uh, anything you guys have uh, been working on that you can say anything about or no, really? Uh, no, I'm I'm pretty I'm unfortunately all secreted up right now. Secreted up. I'm all secreted. Anything yeah. anything uh, new on the release schedule, Eddie, for White Wolf that we can talk about? Um, uh, uh, Monsters just came out a few weeks ago. And that's pretty cool. They're monsters and they're proverbial and stuff. <laughs> um, uh, I don't I don't I, know if you know we can talk about this, but didn't the blurb for World of Darkness mirrors? hit Amazon and yes. move on to RPG.net earlier today. Curse you, Amazon! Yeah. 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 Uh, Amazon is right now. Ultimate reality oh, By the way, if you're looking for any date on a release schedule, go to Amazon.com and look up that product, and I guarantee you the date they have listed will be absolutely the one day you will not find that book. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's like not accurate at all. It's the opposite of accurate. Right, it's like, it's like your non-birthday, you know. I mean, it's like, this is the non-release day. This is definitely the day we would not get the release because it has not been right. Is this book coming out this day? Well, where'd you get that from? Amazon. Well, then no, it's, it's not. <laughs> I don't even look at the schedule. I just know it's not going to be that day. It's like Barnes and Noble have a different day, so we should we should put Barnes and Noble and Amazon in a cage together, and they can fight it out and see whose release date comes out the most accurate. <laughs> yeah. Release date, you know, steel cage match. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, but no, uh, there is, uh, let's see, um, depending on your perspective, uh, the Exalted uh, Book of the North is either already out or soon to be coming out. Uh, it's kind of a quantum release right now. Uh, some places <laughs> got it, some places don't. It's kind of strange. Um, also, Exalted Glories in the Most High, which is the kind of the, the three PDF set of the various different uh, Incarna. That should be coming out in a couple of weeks. I just looked at the final drafts for that, so that should be. Uh, Brian Glash making the final changes on those. They should be going up, I think, early, definitely early November, maybe even as early as the 4th. We'll see how that goes. Um, December is uh, Book of the Dead. Yeah. I got oh, the title yeah. wrong last time, and people freaked out and said, Guys, is getting another book. I'm like, no, 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 I just got the title wrong. So now I'm like, second guessing <laughs> myself, is that the name of the title? I think it's Book of the Dead. Um, but yeah. the other guy. I said Lands of the Dead on my podcast, and I had like I spent three days going, no, there's not another book called Lands of the Dead. It's the same book. You changed the title like three times. <laughs> yeah, speaking of uh, speaking of your podcast, I see you're uh, back at home again, uh, pumping them out. Uh, yeah, uh, well, home kind of, yeah, sort of. Uh, <laughs> basically, right now, um, I, I'm in a cube with uh, three other guys. Um, it's uh, Ethan, uh, John, and uh, the guy I'm marketing who uh, he's gonna kill me. I fucking got his name already. Um, that guy's <laughs> Um, but uh, so we well, our desks are right next to each other so uh, I get there Monday morning and I'm just like oh, I'm going to talk to myself for 15 minutes and you guys can't talk to me have fun so it's kind of weird it's like, like the first one I did real quietly and everyone was like are you okay I'm like no I'm just getting used to it and then so the next one I did when nobody else was around so that's not really helping so <laughs> at some point <laughs> I have to buck up and just go yes I'm going to be podcasting now and you can cope so, <laughs> suck it <laughs> kind of get speaking of, the DX theme is very appropriate for that. Oh, definitely. Uh, um, but, and this week it's been uh, the prep for ICC. Uh, yeah, that, it's literally it's happening like an exit down from where I live. So uh, my wife 
and my roommate are both heavily involved in running that, so they're all over there partying it up in booze and and while I'm sitting here talking to you guys, this is how much I love you guys. I'm doing this oh, for you. Man. Let's all let's all booze together. Actually, yeah, I've been drinking a Guinness during the podcast. Uh, I'm sorry, I started. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, There's it, nothing wrong with drinking through a podcast. <laughs> <coughs> no examples there. No. Um, <laughs> Speaking about uh, weird things, and I don't know where this came up, but uh, I was watching uh, TV. What? <laughs> What? I was watching. He emailed me something to show me these pictures of this growth. Like, what? Like, Chuck. <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> Alright, okay, so we're, we'll talk about that later. Yes, later. That's yeah. a different no. show. Episode 14. Sh- sh- showing off your cock spider again. I mean, uh, you know. <laughs> yes, cock spider. Boy, we're going to get so much trouble for that one on the forums. I could see that now. Uh, 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 anyway. Yeah. a band called Cock Spider. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Mark's bassist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I, I've heard of a I've heard of a, of a band called Raging Tampon, so why not? <laughs> <laughs> why are they so angry? I don't understand. <laughs> their, their, their song was pulling the string. Oh, oh, <laughs> wow! <laughs> Thank you for bringing that memory back up. <laughs> Woo! I'm sorry I asked. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching on TV Tom Hanks' uh, original movie Maze and Monsters. Yeah. Has anyone oh, seen that movie? <laughs> that movie's horrible. <laughs> it's it fantastic. I don't know. I, I, I had sat there and watched it and it was like, I can't believe they put this on TV. <laughs> the worst part is when it was on TV, people were like outraged and horrified and D&D was evil and killing our children by sending them into the sewers with weapons and I'm watching it now and I'm like going, Really? What? <laughs> Those kids were very stupid. <laughs> Going into the, the worst old... party ever. Yeah, actually, one of those was that mine shift looked like something belonging in Pennsylvania, probably. Probably. Right near your yeah. house, Chuck. Yep. It's actually my my basement. Three <laughs> <laughs> keeps box of babies. That's that's right. My box of babies. That was puppy the... of the month club. Yeah, baby of the with the puppy of the month. Yes. <laughs> This month you get the ears. <laughs> oh, a Dalmatian. Good the yeah, you've become such an expert that you can tell by one little paw piece. That's right. I'm just oh. that good. Just that damn good. By the way, for the record, nice. Internet, I have two dogs and they're in whole pieces and alive. So everybody... <laughs> they are now. It didn't no. come that way. No, no, I assume. No, no, that's why he's got the lightning rod. <laughs> that's they right. were Ikea dogs. Yeah. Promethean is actually a non-fiction book. Matt <laughs> <laughs> McFarland actually has come back from the dead. It's true. Yeah, I really don't want to know what he's been doing with that Alan key. <laughs> You'd be surprised. It's under his hat. Yeah. It's under his hat? What? Matt McFarland's? His hat? Black hat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, what I, that's the question I forgot to ask him when he was on the show. If, is his hat really black? It is. But it is. It is. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Oh, yeah. cool. I have seen the hat. Ooh, the hat. Now, did he get that in pieces or? <laughs> <laughs> hat of the month. The IKEA dog. Yeah. Oh man. So, Mark, how's your how's your campaign? Uh, campaign. Why do I keep saying that story going? 
I was really hoping you weren't going to ask that because we've had um, player issues and uh, I've, we've kind of, yeah, there's two people who, who are probably not playing in it now and it's all a bit awkward and, and they're probably listening to the show. <laughs> so I was really hoping you weren't going to no, bring so that up. So you suck and we hate you. <laughs> so let's dive into this even further. Mark, explain some more. No. <laughs> yeah. no we, we had to have a serious talk the other week and uh, there's a certain amount of regrouping going on and uh, I don't know how it's going to turn out. So we're on hiatus at the moment. But up until then, it was going great. <laughs> Is it personal issues or... No, no. It's just... Uh, um, it's, it's it's the buy-in thing where you got a couple of guys who, who aren't, you know, as into it as the rest of us and... Uh, and uh, so I think in that kind of situation, rather than to force them to be into it, we should change up and play something uh, that either we're all into or, uh, or you know, rearrange the group and, and find players who are. So we're kind of in the middle yeah, of that right yeah. now. Execute the infidels, sure, sure. Yep. I, I've actually run into that a lot. Um, I, I noticed that, uh, uh, like, a couple of games I've run where, like, one person, like, you know, I'm just not really getting into it. And it's weird because, in my experience, they always, like, feel bad. They come using you know, I'm really sorry I'm not getting into your game. Like, I'm going to somehow say, Liar! You must love my game! <laughs> well, they took, they, took it, they, took it, they took it really badly. And I, I spent the last kind of, the, the following few days feeling awful. Like, I, you know, like I just disassembled their puppy or something. And then afterward, I thought, well, the, the fuck no? You know, I was kind of straight up and honest. And I don't think I should go around feeling bad about this. So now I'm kind of righteously pissed off, which is a better place to be. Right, we're just anger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, mine's on hiatus now, too, because one player had a disagreement in the group over... I don't know what it exactly was about. Two players in my group always go at it in character no matter what. They always wind up fighting about the dumbest things, so that ruined my game. <sighs> That's a shame. Are we keeping you up, Mark? What? No. No, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that a boring example? <laughs> I didn't mean to do that out loud. <laughs> but your life is, in fact, boring me. Go away. I'm so sorry. Fine, I'll <laughs> shut my mic off. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about more important things. Mark, how's your life? <laughs> uh, Chuck, are you writing anything right now? Uh, sadly, no. We we haven't uh, ran anything in a couple months. few months, actually. It's been... Uh, although we did... Um, I was at a GameCon this weekend, and we played uh, uh, David Hill and Falamina's... Uh, Machine site. They're um, torn apart by radiation wraiths adventure. So that was fun. That was good oh. stuff. But uh, no, we um, we were really. We, I mean, we still have a change in the game. We're sort of you know that actually all the way from the play test that I referred. We we still um hmm. still have that game going, but we haven't gotten together for a little while. It's just people's schedules and everybody has kids and dog Yay. of the month club and all kinds of stuff. So. Yeah, 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 that goes. Chuck, forty five minute drop. No. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's always an open spot over at my table. You can kill my players. Nice. I'll, I'll do it. I'll come in. I'll, I'll clean house. I'll I'll be the pogrom. It'll be good times. And maybe yeah, it's just when he comes here. in the next. It's when he comes in the next week wearing the skin that you need to worry. <laughs> <laughs> if you come in with a box full of babies, I'm gonna worry. Uh, well, all right. Well, alive or dead? Whichever. It doesn't matter. Okay. Or Vince, these, guys, these, these guys you're playing with, Vince. The, uh, are these people you just met just to game with, or are they like they were your friends beforehand, and you, and you then started gaming with them? Or uh... well, I put an ad in the paper. No, I'm just kidding. I <laughs> Craigslist. <laughs> Craigslist. Yes. I'm looking for homoerotic encounters, and these people just showed up. You know what? You'd be surprised what you find on Craigslist. I've seen vampire oh, games on Craigslist. I've seen plenty I of games. I saw a guy trying to sell a dead body on Craigslist once. I was like, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> or... <laughs> The best one is the guy selling his soul on eBay, though. 
Oh uh, yeah. You know, actually, a funny—I mean, it's not really exactly a very World of Darknessy story, but there was a, there's one of my um. I have a Flickr photo stream, and one of my Flickr contacts, she was you know looking through Craigslist for for her amusement factor, and she found a guy who was claiming that he needed help time traveling. He needed to go back in time, and he needed all these like, weird parts, and he needed like, I mean, he had all these strange you know uh, artifacts. He required feathers and stuff like that. Curiously, her photo, a, a photo of hers from an Indian burial ground, was a reference photo in this guy's Craigslist ad. So she she emailed him back and told him like, well, you can continue to use my photo provided you use your time machine to go get my blanket from when I was a young girl. And he like wrote her back. He's like, I will do that for you. Thank you for it. Was like this crazy traveler. Okay. Yeah, welcome to Craigslist. That's Craigslist for you. This is why the internet frightens me. Yeah. No, I just thought you frightened yourself, Eddie. Well, that too. I'm often on the internet to see how this kind of all works together. Right, because you are the internet. You're one-third of it. One-third of it. But nobody nobody says WWW anymore, Chuck, remember? I know. That's how we get you, because you you forgot about us. We'll sneak attack you. (laughs) That shit is true. The ninjas. Sneak attack you with, like, D20 or D10 sneak attack you. Yeah, well, I mean, you pick. I don't care. (laughs) I'm going to sneak attack now. It's more combat advantage. Oh god, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of bitches, sketch up. <laughs> what are your guys? Um, what do you guys think about fourth edition G and D? You think it's just too lame now, or I, I never really asked you guys what you thought about it. Uh, I, I, yeah, I haven't played it. Um, I like the idea. Um, the, I mean, it's kind of a goofy. You know, obviously D and D existed, and it was the foundation for all things that were computer role playing. You know, hit points and, and it kind of moved into the MMO sphere, and now D&D came out and kind of cannibalized the MMO sphere, which was cannibalizing D&D. It's like a thrice-regurgitated process, but it's, I mean, I don't know, it's kind of cool, so yeah, it's, you just need to sit down with it. It plays surprisingly well, mm-hmm. you know. Well, yeah, that's, it's that's something that you look, you look at it and you think, oh, God, this is going to be some kind of hideous mess. It's got influences from all over, you know. it. The original games influenced MMOs, MMOs have influenced this, and lo- lots of people... When they're sort of talking about the game, use those MMO influences as sort of bad bad points, and I don't see it. Oh yeah. If it's out there and it works, steal it. Amen. That's kind of what was the great mathematician once said: plagiarize. Well, be sure to always be calling it please research. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's it's true, actually. Um, But I was kind of in the same camp when it first came out. I was just like. My God, what is this? This is this is World of Warcraft, the, a role-playing game, and we've already written that. So why are they doing it again? And uh, I actually played in a session of it, and I had a surprisingly good time. And I was like, well, maybe that was the dungeon master. And then I've uh, played it another time, and I've also read the books and talked to people, played it, and it's actually a, a really cool game. I have to say, um, there are four or five games that are running at the office right now. I mean, it's, it's really... Most everyone I know at the office has switched over to 4E at this point, who's running D&D. Didn't, um, didn't you at White Wolf do EverQuest too? at one point? Uh, yes, we did. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. That, I, don't, I don't see that anymore. Is that completely off your uh, plate now? Uh, you don't have license for that anymore, yeah. Uh, Same with the World of Warcraft game. Uh, we, the license expired on both of those. And, uh... But I... 
don't. Uh, technically, I can't talk about the legal consequences of that, but really, I just don't know. As far as I understand, this is purely me guessing. Uh, I think it was kind of mutual decision. It's like you know, yeah, that was fun. I'm not gonna do that again. Yeah, some of them, some of those MMO games don't translate well into pen and paper, so. Yeah, I was I was just dreading sword and sorcery picking up something like City of Heroes as well with the trifecta. Oh, that, that, <laughs> I, I saw the City of Heroes playtest and the uh, uh, what was it the free guide they had, but I never saw anything after that. So. No, yeah, I in in theory it's still in production, but you know we've not seen it and going on five years now. So who knows when it'll be done? Right. Never. Interestingly enough, uh, the NDA has expired now. That you reminded me of that. Um, way back in 2003, I was approached to initially work on the City of Heroes role-playing game. Oh. So it's um, your uh, No, Z-Man Games was one of the companies that was in the process of bidding for it. And uh, they did not get the bid. But if they had got the bid, I was approached to one of the people to help uh, design and write that game. Interesting. And in retrospect, I'm glad I did not. <laughs> Um, because really, I, I, it's it's not a criticism of one product. I think it's more just kind of. I'm looking at this a little bit because now that I'm, I'm inside of an MMO company, I've been talking to people who've worked in MMOs all of their career versus people like me who've worked in RPGs all their career. And uh, there's a lot of similarities. The one big thing is that when you play an MMO, the the lore, the background, the world is often secondary to the experience of playing the game. In an RPG, yeah. it's often the experience of the game. Because right. we have books and books and books of lore. And in yeah. MMO, you go, oh, right, well, you know, how many fucking bat belts do I have to get? You know, that's, that's all I care about. <laughs> you know, and so I think this is kind of dichotomy is where the process of the background really, or the priority the background has really is. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, oddly enough, throwing back to 4th edition D&D, I play an awful lot of City of Heroes, and something like 4th edition where everything is fundamentally a power would actually be a really cool way of approaching a City of Heroes role-playing game. But, you know, if we hadn't already had D&D 4th Edition, I'm not sure how much traction that idea would have had to begin with. And then, true, you, true. Get into, then you get into the whole dichotomy between the experience of playing versus the experience of lore and so on and so forth. It's an interesting concept. Yeah, I'm more... I, I, like Champions Online, I've not even played it or seen much about it, but it, it, it strikes me as a bit weird because uh, uh, Champions actually has a very detailed, realized world, but at the end of the day, how many people are playing it going, you know, I really want to play with uh, the Ratbat and uh, the agents of whatever they were. Um, you know, how many people are really going into it, okay, I want to play a, a different superhero game and are just completely tossing out the... 15, 20 years of hero games uh, history most in Canada. Of them. Yeah, most of them, from what I've seen. Right, so I'm like, why was that license necessary? I don't know. I mean, I'm not... I mean, people play, like, that's, that's the thing that, you know, you get into, like, even World of Warcraft. I mean, it's not that it has some gigantic, rich history, but people get on there and I'm like, I'm, I'm an orc named Dick Puncher. And you're like... <laughs> <laughs> Cockspider? Zeitgeist there, Cockspider. Yeah, it's like, okay. Only you, Chuck. Only you. <laughs> but seriously, like, you know, you get on and it's like, guys have, like, my name's like Tony. You're like you're Tony. That's that's what you came up with. Okay, we're all we're all, all playing here. Sure. Chuck admitted that and, was and, and, your and there character. Are, there are play- players who do really want to get into lore. I mean, I really should say you know that that's a portion of the game. But there are people. I mean, even on EU Online, which is notorious for 
people beating the crap out of each other in various and horrible ways, uh, there are still a percentage of players who really, really dig into the lore and really love it and really think it's fascinating. Um, but when you do an oh, RPG geez. interpretation of that, what you have is a group of people who, the percentage of people who like the lore of the MMO and play role-playing games and are willing to spend the time and energy to uh, look at that intersection to the point of actually running a game of it. And so you have this kind of diminishing returns of you know the Venn diagram of you know this circle and this circle a very small slice kind of in the middle. So I think it's kind of where, uh, at least from my perspective, where some of the frustration comes. As a designer, I, I would be like, how do I have to write a game to appeal to the small slice, but really also appeal to the two larger slices? That that would be a huge challenge. And working working in other licensed games, that's always a tough challenge. And people who like the license and also are gamers trying to take that small section of the audience and expanding it to something larger than that. That's why I have huge respect uh, for people who do games like uh, the Angel role-playing game, the Supernatural role-playing game, because it's a huge challenge mm. to take those licenses and really blow them up into a larger audience. Now, Eddie, yeah. are you flying through the air while talking? Because I'm just kind of curious. I hear a lot of wind noise. Are you on an airplane? Or No, I'm just kidding. No, no. <laughs> I hear crickets when Eddie talks. Like Seriously, I hear little chirping. Yeah, I hear that every once in a while, but it's either he's in a room with Darth Vader or he's flying in a plane. Maybe he's on an iron lung. Maybe maybe it's because he's dead. That that could be it. I see dead. You, you, you said it was dead earlier. That's what sure. I'm saying. That's Maybe this is why. Well, speaking about MMOs, I think the best line that I've ever seen one of my friends say was, he, he we were playing EverQuest a long time ago, EverQuest days. He goes AFK, sits down, comes back an hour, like an hour later, he's dead. And he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, how did I die? I was AFK. Didn't the monster see that? And I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> he expected the monsters to actually say, oh, AFK, I won't attack him. I'll come back later. We'll leave this one alone. He's yeah. sleeping. It's more convenient for him later on. <laughs> see, now I have this vision of like this this MO murder mystery. It's like you have the body of the Avatar line there. It's like, who killed him? Who was at the time? Who had the best benefit from killing the character when he was AFK? <laughs> <laughs> When I first played EverQuest, I was um, actually uh, Marty Henley, the guy who does uh, uh, Shadow Stories with me and uh, also wrote for Hunter. He, um, he, We were both playing, uh, I guess, Wood Elves or whatever they were at the time, and we were up in that giant uh, like treehouse city. You kept falling off? Well, no, there was like some, uh, you know, some character. I don't know if it was actually a girl, but it was a female character was up there. Like She was asking us a lot of questions about the game, and... I, sarcasm, of course, doesn't translate well over the internet. And it doesn't translate <laughs> for MMOs because she asked, like, "How do I get to somewhere?" And Marty's like, "Oh, you just you just jump right off the ledge here, just, <laughs> just silently just disappeared off the ledge, and then you look over and there's just this crumpled elf body at the bottom." <laughs> uh, whoops. Oh, <laughs> not translate well. Many a times, lagging, going around those turns and going whoop right off the yep. edge. Fly away, <laughs> and then crud. Yeah, spoosh. Become a cock spider. Right, we all become cock spiders. <laughs> Eventually, I got yes. killed in the tutorials twice. Does that count? No. Oh. <laughs> the first time I was playing Eve, I had been hired for like a week, and like you should play Eve to learn products. Okay, fine. So I was playing the tutorial, and what I didn't realize is that when you go out in space for the first time, this is the old tutorial. When you go out in space for the first time and start, you know, mining and learning how to shoot things, other players can come to that space too. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. uh, guy is like going, give me all your money or I'm going to shoot you. I'm thinking, oh, this is the NPC, so I attack him. And he's like, one shot, poof, dead. I'm like, what the hell happens? So I go back. This is not fun for me. Like, right. And so the guy's like, no, seriously. It's like, oh, you're a player. I'm sorry. He's like, oh, it's cool. Give me all your money and I'll teach you stuff. I'm like, uh, okay, here's money. Like, okay, cool. Poof, dead. I'm like, what? 
Fuck <laughs> <laughs> this game. Yeah, that's I'm learning important lessons about life. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, uh, while there's a lull, guys, I'm going to uh, bail out on you here um, and leave you. Uh, how dare chat you? Chat yourselves. I know. How dare I? Sorry, there's a Phillies Yankees game on, and it's uh, the World Series, so I got to go look at it. What's that? Oh, okay. I know. I know. No, 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 no. You don't go anywhere, Chuck. You're hostage here, so. Yeah, I, I believe it. I literally have tried to take this headset on like four times and it won't come off my skull. I blame you guys. <laughs> it's like Saw. I'm stuck in a Saw movie. <laughs> All right, Chuck, you Thanks. take care. Have it. Thank you, guys. Have a good Thanks, one. Thanks, Chuck. Have a good one. Bye. 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 Yeah, bye, bye. I'm, I'm going to bail as well. I've got uh, work in. I've got to be awake in something like five hours now, so. I should probably at least attempt sleep. That's yeah. that's cool. All right, now like Monday when I saw you on on Twitter, I have not gotten any sleep. Last night. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. Catch you guys later. Hey, thanks, dude. Thanks a lot. It was fun. Take care. Yeah. And then well, I'll, do, I'll go as well because everybody else is leaving. So. Oh well, fine. You just follow the group and get the heck out of here too. Then. I'm slumming. <laughs> Dive right off the cliff and fall down from the tree city. That's right. All right, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, folks. Cool. Thank you guys very much. Bye. Good night. Bye.